Our scripture reading for this morning comes from the book of John, John 2, verses 1 through 18. Jesus changes water to wine. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Dear woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. This, the first of his miraculous signs, Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee. He thus revealed his glory, and his disciples put their faith in him. Jesus clears the temple. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and brothers and his disciples. There they stayed for a few days. When it was almost time for the Jewish, Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found men selling cattle, sheep and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple area, both sheep and cattle, he scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, Get out these out of, get these out of here. How dare you turn my father's house into a market? His disciples remembered that it is written, Zeal for your house will consume me. Then the Jews demanded of him, What miraculous sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? These are the words of the Lord. Thank you, Terry. Our text, our focus will be on the, the miracle of changing the water into wine. And the text from verse 11 where it says what Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs or miracles through which he revealed his glory and his disciples put their faith in him. And the reading includes down to where the Jews ask him to do a miracle. So congregation of Jesus Christ, we are now after Christmas. We are here in January and we are looking at the life of Jesus from the Gospel of John. And we saw already two weeks ago how John focuses in on who this man, Jesus, really is. John declares that Jesus is the Son of God, yet equal to God the Father in all aspects of divinity. Jesus is 
presented as the second person of the Trinity, as true God, the person who walked on this earth, Jesus, the divine Savior. Here in John chapter 2, Jesus doesn't actually say it through using an I am phrase. There are the various I am phrases in John. Here he doesn't actually say, I am the miracle worker, but he declares it in the miracles he does. And in doing these things that only God can do, he is saying, I am. I am sent from the Father. I am equal to the Father. I am true God come to save. In our text, verse 11, it says, he revealed his glory, the glory of God. And that the disciples put their faith in him, they put their faith in God. Seeing Jesus come as the Savior from God. So it is very much part of coming to understand clearly who Jesus is. So this morning we're going to look at Jesus' first miracle and this miracle at Canaan gives us the opportunity to think through, too, these, these extraordinary events and to see how through them Jesus declares and proves over and over that he is God, the one sent from heaven to be our Savior. Now, as we touch on miracles, as we look at this first miracle, we have to be careful uh, we use the term a miracle even today. What, what do we mean by a miracle? What does a Jesus mean? Recently, a miracle was captured. A miracle captured Canada's attention. 35 million people viewed this miracle. It was called the WestJet Christmas Miracle. And I just want to share it with you. A recent miracle. It was a night before Christmas, and all across the land, the good folks of WestJet had a miracle planned. On the eve before flying, the guests were in their beds. Visions of traveling danced in their heads. While out on the runway, something secret had arrived. It was left in the lounge. It was a Christmas surprise. Christmas this year, Cohen. A choo-choo train. Ho, ho, ho. A classic. Do you like Thomas? <laughs> what would Mommy and Daddy like for, for Christmas? Big TV. Yeah, big TV. Ho, ho, ho. A big TV. You're looking fabulous. Oh, I need to. It's okay if you just want to stare at me as well. <laughs> what I need is uh, new socks and underwear. An Android tablet. Is that William beside you? And Cameron? <laughs> Some 
Santa boots. While the guests told their Christmas wishes to good old St. Nick, West Jetters took notes and got ready to shop quick. It was a great rush with the two flights in the air to get all those presents. Not a moment to spare. A miracle. Had you seen it? Were you part of the 35 million people who watched the Christmas miracle? That's, that's amazing. That is fun, right? I thought too. That was a great idea. And that was a fun thing to do. I heard some people say too, I wish we were on that flight. Hey, that would have been good. We would have got socks and underwear probably, though. <laughs> we just, on the one hand, you, you don't expect it. You don't believe it would happen. And, yet, and then it, it gets the term, right? Miracle. Christmas miracle. Wow. It was neat. It was fun. It was a lovely thought. And last Sunday night, I mentioned, last Sunday afternoon at our, our Christmas We event, I mentioned from Max Lucado, too, how how at Christmas you do see more so some of the love of God, the grace of God. There are small things that happen, even like this, that you think, hey, there, there, is, there is something special here at Christmas. But if we reflect on Jesus' first miracle in John chapter 2 like that, 
Like, is this the kind of miracle? Is this what Jesus did? Is it Jesus doing something nice? Absolutely. The Bible tells us Jesus did a miracle there. The people had run stuck. They, they, they kind of asked, we need more wine. And there it was. What a surprise. Like those gifts coming down the conveyor. We asked, and there it was. A miracle. God provides for us when we are stuck. If something's not working out, if the wine runs out at the wedding, or just, just to be nice, God will do a little miracle. In that sense, a miracle doesn't really mean very much. It's just a, a bit of a nice way to help out. And so God, if he's nice, will help us out once in a while. And, and if you have that way of thinking about miracles, which, which in a way, this is, this is our culture, and, and that enters in, you read this story from Mary's perspective, which, which has that sense about it too. Jesus' mother Mary is at the wedding, and we need more wine. And it sure is handy that Jesus can do miracles. We don't know exactly fully what she had in mind, but there is a sense of Jesus can do miracles. Go ahead then. That enters into our hearts and minds too in terms of our faith. Can't God, can't Jesus do a miracle for me sometime? I can think of a few things. You could think of a few things that, that sure would be handy, sure would be nice that Jesus could do for us. And we read a little further in John chapter 2 because that, that sense comes out of it. It says that Jesus does other miracles and, and then as Jesus is making a bigger statement in the clearing of the temple, then the Jews come back, show us a miracle. Just do a miracle here. And, and it becomes very small and very limited. This happens today when people say too, I won't believe in Jesus unless he does a miracle for me. And the whole truth of Jesus and the miracles gets twisted into a very simple and self-centered personal thing. What we need to understand this morning is what John is really telling us in this gospel about Jesus and in this first miracle. He is showing us that in, in all things, in the great things especially, Jesus, who is truly God, comes to save this sinful, fallen world. He is doing a much bigger, much more glorious thing. And we need to receive that miracle from him. We see this in the historical context of this account. In John 2, the wedding miracle at Canaan. Those who first... Uh, heard this uh, account from the Gospel of John would have understood it this way. They would have understood that weddings were more open in those days. That, 
There wasn't a strict invitation guest list. I know at Barb and our weddings, there were wedding there was 150 people invited, and so you invite them and you prepare for them to come, and that's just nice. In this time, there was the sense of okay, there's a wedding at Canaan, and these relatives of Jesus and and Mary are getting married, and people decide to come, even if they're not invited, but they might be related somehow. And so if it works, they come. And, and people might have some business connection, or they might just have a general interest in a couple or connected in some way, and so they come. And so everything has been prepared. Sufficient wine, theoretically, has been bought. There was no neglect. There was no lack of anything. Everything was prepared. But then, unexpectedly, many more turned up. And so... There is a problem that the hospitality that the family would want to offer cannot be offered. And it is a sense of of shame in a way, too, that they can't just cover this. So Jesus' mother points out the problem to her son. Her concern is, is a real concern, a beautiful concern for the couple, for these relatives of ours, that, that they have to go through this embarrassment, very unfortunate. And that, that Jesus, can't he just do a little something for them? Do a miracle. Because he can. Now Jesus' response is, is somewhat, uh, a lot of discussion about it. Jesus in John 2 verse 4 says, Dear woman, why do you involve me? My time has not yet come. It seems... Seems a little odd. Why does he say that? On the one hand, we might think he, he on the one hand, might, might be waiting for a greater miracle. If you know the Gospel of John, you know that in John 6, he feeds 5,000 people. Well, that's, that's more impressive than this. So is, is Jesus maybe waiting? And in John 11, you know the story in John 11, a fantastic story where, where Lazarus has died and is rotting in the grave after four days, and Jesus raises him. Now that is a miracle. So Jesus is maybe saying, well, you know, I'll, I'll start with one of those. That'll, that'll really get him. Why, why is he saying, my time has not yet come? Also, this is the only gospel that mentions this miracle. Matthew, Mark, and Luke don't even include this miracle. It, it's not dramatic. It's not glorious in a way. So why does Jesus say, my time has not yet come? The best understanding is that the reply to his mother and, and to all of us is, is Jesus isn't just working on that, oh, there's a little problem here, I'll fix it, I'll, I'll just do that for you. That, that sense that Mary comes to him with, that just help out here if you can. That there is a much greater significance to his actions, to his life. He's not just a helping hand. It's signifying the miracle of the wonder of who he is and the fullness of what he has come to do. So in that sense, Jesus denies 
or refuses to just do a little something here. But then he does turn around right away and does it. You think, well, why does he do that? Well, because he actually does the miracle because it does have. And we need to see the full, great, and glorious what Jesus can do for us. And, and it's along the lines, too. If we say, too, oh, the car won't start. Oh, Lord, could you help the car to start? And the car starts. Uh, very limited, very small things that we can, we can just get caught up in when, when Jesus wants to do fully and completely for us more than we can ask or imagine. And so that's this miracle raised up. It draws in the great and wondrous work of God through all of redemptive history, through the whole Bible, beginning already in the Old Testament and coming to the point that Jesus is the miracle of God's saving grace in this fallen world for us. He is the I Am, the Son of God, the Savior promised from of old. And we see that in this miracle in three specific things. First of all, that this is a wedding. Weddings are symbolized already in the Old Testament. God as the groom, his people are his bride that he loves. In Hosea's prophecy, you have Hosea the prophet called to marry Gomer. And the picture of that wedding, that marriage, is one of, of God's complete love and commitment. Though she is unfaithful, though she turns away from her husband over and over, he continues to reach out to her in love. That's, that's a miracle. God's gracious reaching out to sinners. You have it as well in the Song of Songs a very passionate love of God for his bride, his people, Israel, for the church, we would say. Also, the prophet Isaiah speaks about it in Isaiah 54, and again in Isaiah 62, verse 5. As a young man marries a maiden, so will your sons marry you. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. So there's Jesus at the wedding, and he sees the bridegroom, and he sees the bride, and he sees that whole picture of all God's love, of all that God is doing. And so that is the context of this first miracle, God's love and commitment to his people. In Jesus' own ministry, he comes back to it in the parables of the wedding banquet, Matthew 22 and 25, that's always there. And in the New Testament letters, it comes up a number of times. Ephesians 5 is the most uh, central where it states that the marriage of a man and a woman is a sign of Christ's love for his church and that he is making her radiant and glorious in his service. So a wedding is a powerful symbol of the committed love of God, of Jesus. And in that commitment, the groom gives himself completely for the bride, and that's what Jesus has come to do. In Ephesians 5, we do it at, at pre-marriage classes, and I talk with the couple about, about what each has to do. And it says in Ephesians 5, 
It says, wives, submit to your husbands. And the husbands like that, of course. That's good. But then it also says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and, and died for her, gave himself up for her. So the responsibility of the husband is much more. But then it comes together in the sense of submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. A Christ-centered marriage. But Jesus sees this bride and groom. He sees himself in the groom, giving himself completely. That's what he has come to do. The miracle of his grace is going to be unfolded in his dying on the cross for sinners, his people, his church, those he loves. So it becomes a powerful symbol of who Jesus is and what he has come to do. The second thing is the symbolism of the water. There are six stone jars, and they are used for ceremonial washing. Part of the law was that people washed to take away their sins. They, they sought to cleanse themselves. And within the Old Testament law, there were many, many times where you had to wash your hands, wash your feet before a meal, before parts of, of religious ceremonies. And, and the water was vitally important as that cleansing. And the six stone jars, the, the couple is well prepared for a large group to come. And as the wedding feast went on for a number of days, and so this cleansing is all in view. Jesus turns all the water into wine. So on the one hand, a problem is solved. But on the other hand, like a, a, a basic daily problem is created. We, we need more water. How can we be faithful? Yeah, we can enjoy all this wine, but, but what about the water now? And there again, the water, the washing the purifying rituals that the law requires, Jesus is making the point that by faith in him, all our sins are washed away. So the water is not necessary anymore. Believe in him. Isaiah 1, verse 18, that very familiar verse, Come now, let us reason together. Come, understand this, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. And how does that happen? I was going to read, uh, I thought to read from Hebrews 10, that's beautiful this morning, but Isaiah 53 as well, that God provides the Lamb, the suffering servant, to take away our sins. And this is Jesus come to be our Savior, to purify us from sin. And so our text, verse 11 it's not the water, but he revealed his glory, and the disciples put their faith in him. By faith, we are saved through grace. And so that message is being presented here in this miracle. This miracle points to the great cleansing, redeeming work of salvation in Jesus. The third powerful symbol is the wine. And we have the wine in the Lord's Supper. You shared in it this morning. That's one aspect, the blood shed 
by our Lord to take away our sins. But this sense of wine is a little different. It is fully biblical. It is based on the Old Testament prophecies that when the Messiah comes, when God in His grace, after all those years of working, sends the Messiah, you will know, you can tell, by the abundance, the abundance of things, and especially the abundance of wine. Amos 9, verse 13. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when the reaper will be overtaken by the plowman and the planter by the one treading grapes. New wine will drip from the mountains and flow from all the hills. This is a prophecy of the time that God will send the Savior, the Redeemer, to make all things new, and the new wine will flow. Hosea 14 talks about it. Jeremiah 31 talks about it. Why six stone jars? Why fill to the brim? Why do they need 700 bottles of wine? That's about what it would come to. It's an abundance. It's an overflowing. It's Psalm 23. My cup overflows. God is changing my life. He is saving me from sin. He is restoring me in His grace. When it says in verse 11, His glory is revealed. The glory of God displayed. And the disciples saw it, and they knew the prophecies, and they understand that by the abundance, Jesus is declared as the promised Savior, the one who is coming from God. So you see how Jesus does this first miracle, not because his mother asked him to, not simple, nice thing to do, but for great and profound reasons, drawing together all of the truth of the Bible, setting it forth as the truth of God revealed in Him as the Savior. And the purpose of the miracle, of all of the miracles, is not just to help a little bit here and there, though it does do that. But the purpose is always to reveal the glory of God in Jesus, the greater significance that He is the one who comes as true God who can forgive us our sins. And so, in that sense, the miracle is not water turned to wine, but the miracle that we are praying for, that we are asking for, that we are hoping for, is that our hearts, your heart again this morning, is changed from a heart of sin to a heart of faith, to a life of struggle and uncertainty, to a life of confidence and hope in Jesus. And so we need to recognize, Pastor Ko here last Sunday mentioned that biggest church in Korea and the pastor there. And, and one of the things, I, I looked it up again and, and followed it up again. One of the things that, that comes to, that, that they put forward very clearly too, that every problem, every little inconvenience, everything we worry and wonder about, and we say, oh, if only this would be changed, if only my health would be improved, if only something here would be, would be fixed. 
every problem, every little thing like there's no wine is at its root, at its heart, a spiritual problem. And it will be fixed. It will be fixed by putting your faith in Jesus. How can that get me a job? How can that fix my health? How can that fix the relationship with someone? Every problem, Jesus is saying again here, is a spiritual problem. And by faith, we can enter into new hope and confidence and joy. When we see Jesus who he is and recognize what he has come to do. The disciples understood this. Do you understand this? That your faith isn't just going around, oh God, could you help here? Oh God, could you help there? That God wants to change you completely. To place you in a right relationship with him. He wants to take away your sins. He wants to restore you in his grace. He wants to set you on a life of joy and peace and confidence and hope in all circumstances. John 2 verse 11. When you put your faith in Jesus, you are changed like water into wine. You are a different person. You are confident now, not in yourself, but in what God has done for you and will continue to do. And so this morning again, we are asked to receive that miracle of grace. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, dear Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for doing that miracle long ago as it lifts us into a fuller understanding of your coming as the Savior promised of old and even promised to us. Lord, we humbly admit we know ourselves. We do not deserve anything from you. We are sinful people. And yet you in grace continue to reach out to us. And we Receive again this morning through the Lord's Supper and through your word the assurance of your grace to us. And it is my prayer that each one here might receive this truth like the disciples of old. And may we together see your glory and put our faith in you and go forward in this day, in this week again, in your strength, hoping, trusting in you. Amen. Our song of response is Our God. Together. Once.